Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Just struck today by uh, God's, God's goodness and mercy pursuing me every day because I am in need of that mercy and I'm so grateful for his goodness. Father, would you be good to us now? Would you have your way uh, in us as we uh, read your story and uh, submit ourselves to you to be changed by the story, by you, by your love for us? Uh, I would like to in, invite you to hop in the Wayback Machine with me. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to 1986, which for some of you does not feel like the Wayback Machine, but go with me anyway. We're going to hop in the Wayback Machine to 1986. Uh, seems appropriate in, in some ways. Uh, the big blockbuster movie, or at least in my opinion, the best movie of the 1980s, I think, I may have to rethink that, we can debate that later. It came out in 1985, uh, Back to the Future, the original one. Uh, so this feels like an appropriate time to land our Wayback Machine here in February of 1986. As of yet, by the way, no talk of any sequels. Those will come later. Uh, the top uh, movie today, February 25th, 1986, um, is the everlasting classic Down and Out in Beverly Hills. If you remember that movie, that makes one of us. Uh, there it is. The, the top song at the moment is a word that I know I should be able to pronounce but never can. Karee by Mr. Mister. Karee lays on down the road that I must travel. Mm, that may be how they pronounce it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> by the way, the phrase, insert word here, lays on, means... Lord have mercy, uh, and it's a, actually a regular part of Roman Catholic Mass, Lord have mercy. So what he's singing is, Lord have mercy on the road that I might travel in the darkness of the night. Uh, the top song of the year, though, is not that one. Uh, the top song of the year is just picking up steam here at the end of February in 1986, uh, and this is just the most 80s thing. The top song of the year will be That's What Friends Are For by Dionne Warwick and Friends, released for AIDS research fundraising. The, uh, so all of that is, is going on. Uh, now that we have placed ourselves culturally, kind of have found our moment, February 25th, 1986, uh, already 1986 has been an eventful year. A couple weeks ago, Haley's Comet reached its most visible point on its once every 86 year brush with Earth. Uh, a week before that, to much less fanfare, the recently fired founder of Apple, Steve Jobs, got together with his friend John Lasseter and started a little company called Pixar. They thought they were going to make technology. They made, anyway, that's later. It's 1986. They don't know what they're doing yet. <laughs> In mid-January, the UK and France announced they were going to attempt to build an underwater tunnel through the English Channel. As of yet, a lot of people still doubt whether that is even possible, 
month and a half later. Eight days after that announcement, uh, closer to American soil, the space shuttle Challenger explodes 73 seconds after launch, instantly killing all seven astronauts, including school teacher Krista McAuliffe. And as we stand here in late February of 1986, divers are still looking for the wreckage and the remains. The largely intact crew compartment will be found by Navy divers on March 9th, with all seven bodies still inside. And I, in 1986, am blissfully unaware of all of this. Uh, earlier this month, I turned two and a half. which makes me young to some of you and old to others. My mom is seven months pregnant with my little brother. It is just me and my parents in a very stable, really idyllic life. And like most two and a half year olds, I am far too self-focused to be aware of the pain of others around me. And I have no idea that life can hurt beyond scraped knees and bee stings I have no idea that life can hurt and certainly no idea how much it can hurt. Uh, I am still years away from getting my heart broken by a girl for the first time, from being embarrassed by my friends and family, or from feeling like a complete failure. My family is whole and healthy and growing, and that is all I know or care about. We are still over a year and a half away, or right about a year and a half away, from my mom getting sick from the doctor saying cancer, and from my parents trying to explain what all that means to a four-year-old with a one-year-old sitting in her lap. I don't yet know how scary a hospital can be, how weak a parent can become, or how completely uncomfortable a funeral can be. 1986. If the songs and the movies and the cultural moments and the tragedies surrounding them feel like they were just yesterday or feel like they were a million years ago or both, that's how 38 years feels. A lot can happen in 38 years. A lot has happened in 38 years for all of us who've been around for 38 years. A lot of hurt, a lot of joy, a lot of memories. As you think about 38 years, which I know uh, for some of you is your whole life and then some, but stay with us. As you think about 38 years, can you imagine waiting for something all this time? Some dream or hope you had in 1986 and you are still waiting for it. 38 years is a long time to wait, to anticipate, to hope, and eventually it's really easy for the hope to dwindle out. And suddenly all you can think about is the hurt and the unfairness. John chapter five, we read this story of a Jesus encounter. I'll start in verse two. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda. Other versions will say Bethsaida. It was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, 
Blind, lame, or paralyzed lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. The belief was, and uh, some of your versions may stick this on the end of verse three, the belief was that an angel would come and stir up the water. And when it was stirred up, if you were the first one to get into the water, you would be healed. And so Jesus comes to him after 38 years of sitting by that pool, 38 years of watching it bubble up only to be left out and says, Would you like to get well? Now, in the New Living Translation, his immediate response is, I can't. The NLT actually adds that because it's more conversational, and that's what the NLT is trying to do. They're trying to translate the Greek into conversational English, so it makes sense for them to put it there. But in the Greek, that I can't is not there. He goes straight to the excuses. Would you like to get well? Nobody will help me. Everybody else gets there first. There's no, well, yes, of course, Jesus, but just, I can't. Just nobody will help me. Everybody else gets there first. There's no way. It's an interesting and somewhat surprising to me, fact of life that I am learning and observing as time goes on, uh, that sometimes people don't want to get well. Sometimes people would rather have their story than their healing. Sometimes people would rather have their story than their healing. And I want to be careful here because this is definitely not everybody. And if we start accusing other people of this, we're going to go sideways and outside of what Jesus does in a hurry. And also, before you tune out, this is not a, you just have to want it kind of talk. That's not what this is. But I also want to name this hard truth that some people would rather have the story of their hurt than the healing And at least in my experience, just about everybody who would fall in that category thinks that they don't fall in that category. Look, the wounds that we incur in life hurt. (laughs) That's why we call them wounds. Emotional, physical, mental, everybody has them. Big or small does not really matter. And we would all like to avoid getting hurt. We would all like to help the people we love avoid hurt. We would like to get rid of that sense of pain and woundedness that sticks around. But the wounds of life can also be kind of handy. Our wounds allow us to define ourselves as unique. When somebody says, well, here's what worked for me, we go, well, no, 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 that's not going to work for me because I went through, because my life is marked by, because somebody did to me, 
That's not, that's not gonna work for me. I'm, I'm different from everybody else. Those solutions are not gonna work. Our wounds can help give us reasons for why we can't do something or, or do it well. I'd love to be a good husband, but my mom died when I was pretty little and I, I didn't really get to watch good, healthy marriages. And I'd love to be a good dad to my daughters, but, but I didn't grow up with sisters or, or a, really a, a mom that I was in relationship with. I don't, I don't really understand how girls work. Side note, neither does anybody else, including them. Okay, <laughs> returning to the sermon. Um, anyway, we can say to people, look, I, I know we'd work better together if I just trusted you more, but I just can't because I got hurt and I just don't trust people. And here's the thing, all of that may be true. You may have missed out on some things in your childhood that make it harder for you to engage in relationships in adulthood. You may absolutely have had your trust broken. And anybody who would hear your story would go, yep, trust broken. I don't know how you trust somebody again. You may have had somebody missing from your life or some experience missing that you just don't know how to overcome. My parents um, were both past 35 and been married for 10 years um, by the time they got pregnant with me as their oldest because it took that long for my dad to convince my mom that she could possibly be a good parent because her relationship with her mom was so broken she didn't think she could do it. Mind you, she worked with the most difficult kids at school all day, every day, but didn't think she could be a good mom. The things that we experience, the hurts and the wounds, they, they're real, and they really do create challenges. But... The more we define our choices by our wounds, the more our wounds become our story. The more that we define our choices by our wounds, by our hurts, the more those things, those wounds become our story. The more our wounds become how we define ourselves. And suddenly the painful choices of others become how we define ourselves. Jesus did not ask the man, why aren't you healthy yet? He didn't ask, what's your story? He didn't ask, what defines you? But those are the questions the man asked. Or the man answered, I mean. What Jesus asked was, would you like to get well? Now, I'm going to guess that some of you are thinking about somebody who fits this description. perhaps somebody you love and would love to help. So I want to give a couple of notes on how to approach people who seem to be more comfortable with their wounds than they are with the idea of getting well. The first rule is that you do not compare pain. We don't compare pain. Going up to somebody and saying, well, that's nice. Let me tell you what hurt really looks like. Doesn't help <laughs> ever. And it does erode trust and your uh, opportunity to love somebody. 
responding to somebody's hurt, and this is one that we, I, we're all tempted to do, I think, I certainly am. We feel like compassion will sound like, oh yeah, I've hurt too. And so they tell us they're hurt, and we go, yeah, I've hurt just like that. Let me tell you my story. And, and now they're left to compare our pain with theirs, and do they really know what I'm feeling? We don't compare pain. Now, if, if they want to, or if you are the person who you're looking at your own wounds and going, man, do I want to get healthy? For you to look at somebody, or for them to look at the people around them and go, oh, well, my grandma overcame a whole lot more than, I do, than, than what I've experienced. Maybe I can too. Or that person over there, wow, they've really been through a lot of hurts. But our temptation, I think we're really most tempted to do this with our, our kids or with young people, to go, oh, but look at this person who hurt so much worse than you did and they made it. We can't actually introduce that because what we are doing and trying to inspire them is minimizing their hurt. Okay? So we don't compare pain. Step one. Uh, also, just for the record, um, Jesus never, ever does that. You won't find it. Okay, so what can we do? I do think we can actually ask somebody some form of the question that Jesus asked this man. In your own words, your own way, something that works for the relationship you have with this person, do you want to get well? Because would you like to get well is a fair but super personal question. It's fair, but it's super personal. And I don't know about you, but I can tell it's super personal because as I imagine myself going up and asking somebody this question, something in my heart goes, ooh, we may be overstepping some things there. So you're going to want to ask this with people you know well. We have no reason to believe, for the record, that Jesus knew this man well, um, we, we don't see any connections in scripture. For those of you who have uh, watched The Chosen and seen this scene play out in The Chosen, they do a beautiful job with it. But all those connections that are there, that's not in the Bible. We don't know any of those things, okay? So cool story, but we're gonna make sure we stick to this. That, that Jesus does not know this man personally. However, we do know from other stories of Jesus, other biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, other gospels, that that he is able to understand the thoughts and motivations and feelings of the people around him. He has some supernatural ability to understand the motivation, heart, thoughts, condemnations of the people around him. So he knows this man's heart. He basically just meets the man and he knows his story, it tells us. So for somebody that we know well, that's a good question. For someone that you don't know well, and we'll come back to the question in a second, for somebody that you don't know well, um, the best policy is probably just to hear them out, just to be a good listener. That that's how we build trust in relationships is we listen to somebody's story and we don't condemn them for it and we don't try to fix it and we don't try to make it all right. We just hear them out. Offer to pray for them. Tell them you will be praying for them, those kind of things. For somebody you don't know well, feel free to just hear the story. That can be your role. We don't have to teach them all the right answers in that moment. We just hear the story. For someone that you 
do know well, feel free to ask this question, or again, some form of it, would you like to get well? Now, if you ask that question and they go straight to, well, I can't because it's never going to happen. This thing always comes up. I'm just too broken, whatever it may be. I think it's okay to come back with, that's not what I asked. (laughs) I asked, do you want to? And there's a reason this is a really hard and heavy and personal question. Because for most of us, I think our initial reaction to, would I like to be healed of whatever it is that hurts in my life? We go, well, yeah. But sometimes it does not look the way we want it to. So if getting well means a long-term process of confession and repentance and learning new habits... Do you want to get well? If getting well means that you're going to have to forgive that person you swore you never would, do you want to get well? If getting well, getting healthy, and being made whole means that you're going to trust some people again, or maybe trust people for the first time since before you can remember, do you want to get well? Do you want to get free from that addiction, that habit that's causing you pain and pain to the people who love you? Do you want to get free from it if it requires a whole process of laying down your life? Do you want to get well? And if you do, I mean, that song we sang earlier, of I'll follow you anywhere, that's such a scary song to sing. Like, are, are we really willing to follow him through the hills and valleys that he will lead us through, through the valley of the shadow of death? If that's what it means to be made whole, to become well. Now, if you ask and they say, yeah, I do, fantastic. That's so, that's so good. First of all, um, if they say yes you don't get to look at them and go, I don't believe you. Not helpful. (laughs) Not helpful. Sometimes we come into these kind of conversations ready to convince the other person that we know them better than they do. Not helpful. (laughs) Better responses. That's so great. What do you think life is going to look like for you when you get healthy? That's so, that's so great. What steps are you planning on taking to get there? That's fantastic. Let's pray right now. Maybe Jesus will just do it in this moment. Let's pray now. And then, if not, what could somebody do to help? Help you take those next steps. The thing is that how we respond to our wounds and how we respond to Jesus' offer to make us healthy and whole really matters. Each and every one of us has been wounded by something. And Jesus is offering each and every one of us the opportunity to get well, to be made whole. And how we respond to those two things will alter the arc of our stories, the arc of our life. The man at the pool in John 5, lying on his sick mat, surrounded by who knows how many other people lying on their sick mat, having watched who knows how many other people get healthy and walk away, 
chose to respond to his wounds with despair and to Jesus' offer with excuses. Amazingly, to me anyway, Jesus chooses to heal him anyway. A side note on that, if you have ever been taught that you are not healed because you just don't have enough faith, exhibit A, that is not always what matters. Because this guy is still despairing and excusing and blaming. He's expressed zero faith. And Jesus does it anyway. The rest of the story then is how the man and the religious powers of the day choose to respond to Jesus. So we'll continue in verse 8. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. The day of rest. Okay, happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. Okay, let's start with the ridiculous. The man is up and walking and healed, and the religious people want to talk about a rule. You rule breaker! Come on, guys. Like, 38 years! Yeah, anyway. I'm just really glad that we would never do that in the American church. We would never be more focused on somebody's purity or politics than we are on the power of Jesus in their life. That was sarcastic. Okay. Many of us in this room or listening online have experienced some healing from Jesus in our lives. Now, I've got things in my life that I have been asking Jesus to snap his fingers and fix for over 20 years. And I I would really still like him to to snap his fingers and make it so that my doubts and thoughts and brain are not working against me half the time. What Jesus has walked me through is a process of actually being reformed. Hopefully, I believe, being made in the image of Jesus a little bit at a time. I am different now than I was. I am, I am not the same person that I was 20 years ago. I've experienced some healing of my wounds and how I've coped with them. For all of us who have experienced some amount of healing from Jesus in a moment or over time, question for us. Are you more focused on the criticism from others or the healing from Jesus? Are you more focused on the criticism from others or the healing from Jesus? I, I just want to acknowledge that not everybody is going to understand. Not everybody's going to get it. Um, we all know 
Jesus or otherwise. We all know that there are people who are going to define us by who we were at 12 or 16 or 22, and it's just going to get stuck there in their heads. And so you start to change, you start to do something different, and your friends or your family or somebody may go, I don't, I don't know about that. That seems weird. I don't like it. That doesn't seem like you. No, no, I know who you really are. You're just faking. Are you more focused on the criticism from others or the healing from Jesus? It amazes me that this man was just healed, and his response when they start talking about a mat is not to go, hey, I don't care about this stupid mat. I don't need it anymore. I was just healed. He immediately goes back to deflect and blame. This is 38 years or some many years of habit built up. And boy, am I familiar with this habit. And it is a hard one to kick. That the gut reaction is deflect and blame. The guy told me, I don't, I don't know, it was, it was him. I mean, at least he acknowledges the man who healed me. But like, there's a guy, he healed me, and then he told me to do it. I don't, I don't know. It wasn't my choice. And he doesn't even know the name of the guy who did it. The guy healed him. He's like, oh, maybe I should have got his name. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus then seeks him out. Uh, let's look at this verse again. Um, honestly, I want to look at this again just because it kind of bothered me. This is verse 14. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well. So stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Is Jesus threatening him? I mean, that seems really unlikely, given what we know about Jesus and all the other things that we know about him and his character, all the other stories. Is he warning him? Certainly, certainly. Jesus warns people a lot. Is Jesus talking about the mat? Because that's the sin the religious leaders identified. He's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. Like, is Jesus coming to him going, Dude, I healed you, and the first thing you do is you sin by carrying your mat on the Sabbath. No, no, we know from uh, other stories that Jesus took the Sabbath very seriously as a thing that God had ordained, but that the rules that they had added on to it over the years that get progressively more ridiculous, he had, he had no time for any of that. He just did not, did not care. So no, he's not talking about the mat. So what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about a lack of gratitude? Maybe. Choosing despair, harboring bitterness, trying to please people, blaming others. All of that is possible. And then worse than what? Something worse is going to happen. Like worse than sick for 38 years? Worse than criticism from the authorities and the religious leaders? Maybe Jesus is talking about the man's eternal destiny. The truth is we have no idea. What we do know is that rather than doing what Jesus asked, or rather than responding to the warning, like, oh yeah, Jesus, I won't. Um, he turns the man in. Like the man turns Jesus in to the authorities, he goes and tells them that that's the guy. That's the guy you, you want. And um, before we get in our heads that the man had no other choice, um, that this, this is just, they're the ones in charge. He had to do what they say. Um, 
our reading this next week, as we're reading through John together, our reading this next week um, will, uh, well, maybe it's two weeks, I think it's two weeks before we get to John chapter 9, but you can fast forward. You can go ahead and look ahead at John chapter 9. There's a man that Jesus heals of blindness, and he has so much snark with the Pharisees, it's fantastic. So anyway, that's John chapter 9. It is an option. He could be snarky here. He chooses to turn Jesus I mean, we're talking about what? A matter of hours? Maybe, maybe days? That, that Jesus heals him, and then some hours or days later, he's like, actually, what I should do to the guy who healed me after 38 years is I should turn him into the religious authorities. And those authorities react like this. This is verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. One of the things that I love about um, reading through scripture together, as um, many of us are, are reading through uh, the Gospel of John as we head toward Easter in the, the version app. You can still find the link for that on our website and event page and all those kinds of things. Um, I, I love that there's an opportunity for people to comment, to give their perspective and their uh, ideas on, on things. Um, by the way, if um, there's like three dozen of us who are, are checked into that, um, that reading plan, whether you grabbed a bookmark um, and are reading along that way or you're in the version app, if for some reason you've fallen behind, just start over again tomorrow, okay? Like just, if you're stressed about catching up, just start, grace, grace people, just start over tomorrow. Anyway, one of the things I love about having this comment section um, is that the the perspective of other people helps pull me out of my own perspective, that I can get so locked into seeing the story one way because that's the way I've heard it taught or preached or read it or my own experiences, whatever. Um, and and I, I love that it helps me sort of see things differently. So someone um, this week on this story commented that, uh, quote, as a rule follower, uh, they feel a little bad for the Pharisees. The Pharisees are just trying to stay faithful to God. And I went, oh, yeah. As a rule follower, I get that. I'd forgotten that that would also be me. Like, I, I really think that if I'm here, short of Jesus getting a hold of my heart, I think I'm with the Pharisees going, whoa, 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 we have rules in place for a reason, people. Follow the rules. So I get it in that sense. But this is really ridiculous, right? Like, the man was healed, and they want to talk about the mat. Jesus says, hey, I'm the savior you've been hoping for. He doesn't even get into the fact that he's not the savior they actually want. He's going to do it entirely differently. He just essentially insinuates, yep, I am that Messiah that you're hoping for. And they get enraged. They're so angry. I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt that they are trying to follow God and they're trying to lead others in following God. They feel some responsibility for doing that and they're trying to do it the best way they know how with the rules. Now the mat, again, is not a God-given rule. That is a man-made rule that they have tacked on to the God-given rule of taking a Sabbath. Sabbath is a God-made in the Ten Commandments rule 
And to be honest, they're just trying to prevent their world from looking like ours does, where we don't know how to rest. But Jesus did not come for rules and limits and condemnation. He came for grace and healing and new life. In reality, you and I face the same questions that those religious leaders did, starting with this one. Will you allow Jesus to lead you his way, or does he have to do it your way? Will you allow Jesus to lead you his way, or does he have to do it your way? Will you allow Jesus to heal you his way, or does it have to be your way? Because Jesus may choose to heal you in an instant, like many, many people have experienced, like, like this man here experienced, or he may choose a process over time. Jesus may choose to lead you within the things that you've zeroed in on in the Bible and gone, I really like these things about what scripture says. Or Jesus may, cha- may choose to blow your mind and change your paradigm and point out how many things scripture tells us to do that were not part of your upbringing or religious or political training. Jesus may ask you to choose differently, to vote differently, to move differently than you would feel most comfortable doing or are convinced that you should. Will you actually let Jesus lead you his way under the truth of scripture? Or does following Jesus have to look like the YouTube preacher, the famous actor, or the great musician says it does? What if Jesus is actually inviting us, inviting you into a whole new way of living with more freedom and grace and truth than we are at all comfortable with. Because we're not actually talking about just some wise teacher or some political troublemaker. So second question we have to answer is, will you allow Jesus to be who he says he is? Because there were parts of Jesus' story, and this will come up again and again in the Gospel of John, that people really like that part of Jesus. But then he starts talking about some other things, and they go, nope, I want nothing to do with that part. And his followers at different times will pick up stones and threaten to kill him because he said something they didn't like. The religious people were mad that he broke the rules, but what really set them off was his claim to be the son of God, which again, to be fair to the Pharisees, would also trouble me quite a lot. But this is his claim. So if we come to Jesus and say, we are showing up to follow after Jesus, we are patterning our lives after him, we want to be with him and become like him and do as he does, then we have to be aiming for and following who he actually says he is. So When we come to him for healing, will we actually let him be the son of God or do we just want the quick fix? When we come to him for comfort, are we also willing to let him be the almighty and scary son of the Trinity? When when we come to him for power, are we actually going to let him be the son of God or are we gonna ask him to move over and let us take a seat on the throne? When we come to him because we are angry and bitter, 
Will we let him be the savior who died for that person that we are angry at as well? When all we want is a friend who will take our wish list and make it happen, will we also let him be the son of God? Because as much as we think that we want Jesus to do just what we want, to give us what we think we need, the reason that we choose to follow Jesus is because we trust that he knows better than we do. That we need to be taught and formed and changed. That if our story is defined by our wounds, we need a new story. That if our story is defined by longing and never quite getting the things that we want or the things that we grasp just turn out to be empty, we need new desires. If you're walking around under the mistaken belief that you are unforgivable, we need a son of God who will tell us that our God loves us and forgives us and shows us just how far he will go to prove it. So will you allow Jesus to lead you his way? Will you allow Jesus to be who he says he is? Will you allow Jesus to change your life? Will you allow Jesus to actually change your life, to turn despair into hope, excuses into healing, to show you a whole new way of life full of freedom and grace and wholeness? Uh, If this is you and you're going, yeah, I would like to sign up for the Jesus Changed My Life plan, please. Again, it may not happen the way that you want it to. But Jesus can bring life out of the valley of death. Scripture tells us that anybody who's willing to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, in other words, that he can do it his way, and that God raised him from the dead, that he really is who he said he is, that if you believe Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, that you receive forgiveness and everlasting life that your life is changed, maybe not your circumstances right now, but who you are becoming and the eternity of your life. It is a new life now and forever. And it really just takes the acknowledgement of these questions. Yes, Jesus, I will allow you to do this your way. I will allow you to be who you say you are. If you have never done that before, I am in just a moment going to to pray and I would love to have you pray along with me. If you have done that 500 times and you go, yep, but I slipped back into trying to do it my way and turn Jesus into a genie and I need to realign my life with Jesus knows the way and I'm following him and I'm gonna let him be who he says he is. Love to have you pray along with me. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, have a tendency to come in our brokenness and ask for a certain healing, for a certain miracle, for you to do things a certain way. And so much of our frustration with you comes from you not doing the things the way we told you to do them. 
Jesus, we come to you knowing that our desires get messed up. Knowing that we have hurt other people and we need to be forgiven. And so we ask for your forgiveness. Knowing that we have doubted that you are who you say you are. And that we need to be forgiven for our doubts. And Jesus, we come to put our faith in you. To put our trust that you know the way, that you are who you say you are, that the stories are true, that you really did die out of your love for us, were raised to, to life, to give us new life. Jesus, we give ourselves fully and completely to you. Grateful for your love and your forgiveness your death and your life. You said that your name is holy and that we should come asking for things in your name because of who you are. So we ask for forgiveness and we ask for healing immediate and long-term physical, emotional, mental healing of relationships, healing of our desires. We ask that you would change us and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.